0: by AM
1: 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you on a hot, 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 can we say hot Sunday afternoon? It was supposed to cool off today. Did it, Joey? Did it cool off at all? I mean, yesterday, I drove up to Mojave, actually to Hatchipi to pick up my kid at camp. It was 112. On Well, that's what it said on the car thermostat. And today, I think it was supposed to go down, but it didn't.
2: I got you beat uh, the other day when I was driving through... uh... Sherman Oaks on my car uh, monitor. hmm. 124. Degrees. No way. Yeah. And that was right around uh, Van Nuys, actually. Yeah. Okay. Pretty bad. So I do <laughs> want to say
1: the heat wave we're having here is one heat wave. There's also one been going on on the East Coast. And I happen to have heard that in Montreal, 33 people died um, of, you know, it, heat like this is dangerous for the elderly, for people uh, who are ill, for children. So I want to say one thing to everybody right now. Check on your neighbors, lay low, close your blinds. If you don't have American Vision windows to keep the cool air inside, then you just keep your blinds closed in the hot afternoon. Take lots of baths and showers, not cold, but lukewarm, just to restore your body temperature. Because if you take a cold shower, it tells your body, oh, I'm cold, I better heat up the furnace. Right? So you want it to be kind of warm, but not hot. And drink lots and lots of fluid. Listen to Dr. Wendy, or as my kids call me, Dr. Mom. Uh, because I want everybody to be safe in this heat wave, Um, because it is something. It certainly is. So while we're worried about heat and staying cool, etc., I have been obsessed with the boys in the cave in Thailand. I'm obsessed for a few reasons. One is my own teenage daughter, who just turned 15, is going with a friend, and not just a friend, a mom, and two other teenage girls backpacking in Thailand. So I'm like sending her text, the mom text, no caves, no caves at all. Um, and the other thing is because the kind of emotion I feel and the worry for those boys separated from their parents is a lot like what everyone in America is feeling for the children that were separated at the borders. And I just want to stop and be, remind everybody I'm nonpartisan here, that what we share as human beings are feelings and emotions. This isn't about policy. This is just about the fact that we all have compassion and that there are children separated from parents because this is the crux of what I study and what I do, which is attachment theory, how we have this invisible, invisible umbilical cord that we attach to our primary caregivers and early in life, those tend to be our parents. And later in life, we transfer that model of love attachment onto our primary romantic attachments. So I see, when I see these Thai boys, trauma. Then the third reason that I'm a little bit obsessed with the the poor boys in the tunnel is that they, in order for them to get free... And Larry Perrell, can you remind me, we have four out so far out of the 13?
3: Yeah, four out of the 13, and they have uh, they have halted doing the rescues for now Uh-oh. Uh, because they are assessing the situation. A lot of the monsoons, the rains is raising the some of the groundwater, and that may be raising the water levels in the cave as well. So, And they're also trying to replenish the oxygen tanks, which are sort of stationed along the path of the exit route to try to get out of the cave okay, as well. Okay,
1: you're raising my fears, just just raising my anxiety, just telling me that stuff. So here's what, I even have alerts on my phone now. I'm reading this stuff so closely. So in order to get out, this isn't just a tunnel. These boys had walked back a mile, and it's quite a labyrinth of a tunnel network. In order for them to get out, it is a six-hour dive in total blackness. The boys don't know how to swim. Joey, did you tell me that culturally it's not considered cool to know how to swim in Thailand?
2: Yeah, I just heard that um, sort of a cultural thing over there. They don't really teach people to swim so much over there because they have a fear that if they do, those people are more likely to drown. It sounds bizarre, (laughs) but the reasoning is... They'll
1: jump into deeper water.
2: Exactly. They're more likely to take those risks. Uh But
1: there are a lot of islands in Thailand. I know. That's a lot of water. Come on. uh, How can you do that? Uh, So these boys don't know how to swim. None of them know how to snorkel, let alone scuba dive. And the kind of diving that we're talk about, talking about is Navy, ste- Navy SEAL quality and skill. In fact, Thailand lost a Navy SEAL himself, just bringing oxygen to the boys. So first of all, there's my fear of drowning that's being brought up here. Then there's my fear of claustrophobia. Some of the, t- the tunnels are less than 24 inches they have to squeeze through. Uh, Then there's the fear of dark. I have the fear of the dark, too. I don't know. Are are you the same as me? I do. I have these fears. They're basic human fears. Add that the fear of suffocation. So they're running out of oxygen. They said they were down to 15% oxygen, and they're trying to get more tanks in. So I feel like the reason why they're halting the operation, besides the fact that they're waiting for more rain that might flood them out even more, is that they're trying to get more oxygen into the remaining boys' first. Uh, We don't know the names of the four who did get out. Um, They were sent immediately in ambulance to emergency rooms to get hydrated and to get healthy again. They were in there, is it 12 days? Larry Perel, 12 days? Uh,
3: 15 days now. 15 now! Oh,
1: it's killing me. It's killing me. As a mother and a human and somebody carrying all those fears. I, for some reason, this is more intense for me than the Chilean minors. Because they were dudes and they were used to working in mines. Like I don't know. I I know that's a terribly sexist thing for me to say, but I always feel like aren't men like a little stronger about this? And
2: they no, really, I mean, this shouldn't have happened. Uh it wasn't those kids' fault. I mean, they 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 don't they weren't under the, you know, assumption that something could go wrong. Um, their their teacher or whatever their instructor guided them in yeah. and, and messed it up for
3: them. Yeah, it was a soccer coach basically who took took them in there. I think with some kind of an initiation. They were going oh to h- they were going to hike into the cave and oh, write, oh. write their write their names on a on a wall in the cave, I guess. Right. And and they got trapped.
1: Oh yeah. my goodness. Well, yeah. let's talk about the good news about this. The good news is this: uh, for those of you who think the world is breaking up into tiny fractions of nationalists, uh, this is a true international rescue operation. We have many people from many countries who have come together. Nobody has complained about cost. I've heard nothing about cost yet. And even Elon Musk here says he's busy. He pulled all his designers off whatever rocket jet they're making to try to make some kind of little submarine just as big enough for a boy's body to try to get it over them as, to them as quickly as possible. I don't know if they could get there on time. Um, but again, lying in the pitch black with tanks on... Having full on panic attacks so far, they say the currents in some areas are as big as the Colorado River, so the boys the four that did get out were being held on each arm by a navy seal on each side and you know, hey, if I am going to be in that situation at all, give me a navy seal on each arm, please, maybe one on each of my feet, too. Bring me those men, please, I love them <laughs> um so anyway i I'm obsessed with it um. There was one other thing I wanted to ask the medical community out there, since I'm a psychologist. Could they give the boys some kind of Valium or anti-anxiety med, or would, or would that be a respiratory depressant? You can tweet me or Facebook me or anything. I'll look for it. Dr. Wendy Walsh, at Dr. Wendy Walsh. Please tell me the answer. Could they give them anything to slow their heart rate that wouldn't be a respiratory depressant? Um, and so that the guys could be a little calm. Again. I'm planning for my escape out of a tunnel someday, and I need to know. On that note, I do want to say that uh, I was doing a podcast earlier today for some friends who run a cool podcast called Queens of Crime, and, uh, and we were talking about fears and why women love true crime. And it's because we always perceive ourselves to be the victim. As strong as we are in life and smart and everything else, we're also physically weaker. I mean, a small stature man of five foot six could still rape pretty much any woman, just saying. So uh, this is why we get addicted to true crime. And I'm addicted to the Thai cave because I'm a mother, because there are kids involved, because there's separation, and because I have all of those fears.
2: I do have to say, uh, Dr. Wendy, <sighs> this is the most, like, into any story I think yes, I've, I've ever seen you.
1: I've been driving my kids, every morning I wake up and tell them the latest update, and they're like, what? why are you so into this? I'm obsessed. All right, um, I want to tell you about the show we have coming up. So I have to talk about it because it's in the news and because there are lessons for us. We're going to talk about Justin Bieber. He got engaged. And then let's talk about our relationships. If they're a gymnasium for our minds, how do we know if we're in a bad relationship or we're just meant to grow here? Um, and later, hey, the last half hour, if you've got a dream you want to bring me at around 530, Dreamweaver's in my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. So great to have you with me on a Sunday afternoon. Don't go away. Larry Perel's got the news. This is KFI AM 640, and you're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show.
2: What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more.
1: KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Dr. Love, Dr. Mom. My kids call me all those things. Uh, let's talk about our relationships, especially through a lens of somebody who maybe we shouldn't use as a relationship guide, Justin Bieber. Uh, well, he got engaged, apparently, just last night. Joey, is that when it happened? In the Bahamas somewhere?
2: It was in the Bahamas. I think it might have been, uh, not last night, but uh, a few days ago. It's or Saturday. A, a few, okay. Today's oh, wow. Sunday. She's Louise. Yeah. See how
1: quick we're Jeez on it.
2: Louise. Okay. The
1: wow. news breaks <laughs> and we're on it. He got engaged to Haley Baldwin. Do you recognize that last name? Uh-huh. One of those Baldwins. Not Alex's daughter, the daughter of Stephen Baldwin. And she is a model for, I don't know, some important line, if you're into that, skinny-bodied, cute girls uh, model. And they've been on again, off again for many years. And, and I want to stop and just say a couple of things. She's 21. He is 24. They've known each other for many years. They almost sort of grew up together in the industry. And let's first just talk about age. So the research says that if you're getting engaged before the age of 23, not a good sign for your supposed uh, divorce rate. So it goes like this. If you marry early, you your, your prefrontal cortex is not fully develop, developed until at least the age of 25 to make good decision-making, right? So you grow and you change. You also have a lot of time in your life to go through more divorces. If you marry later, You tend to have fewer divorces, mostly because you just don't have as much time, but also because you wait until you're a fully developed person. So the first thing I want to say, if I'm going to analyze this engagement at the age of 21 and 24 is, um, it's a little early, Justin, it's a little early. Okay. Wait. Okay. Just why don't you do one of those like two year engagements? Let the girl get to be at least age 23. Wouldn't that be nice? But I actually think he was feeling he was losing her, because not too long ago, he staged a fake engagement. So what he did is, I think he wore a wedding band around or something, just so the paparazzi would catch it. Um, and you know what I call that? That's rehearsing. And that's trying out to see what it feels like, right? Wow. And I think that's what he was doing there. Now, the engagement comes two weeks after she purged, this is important if you're a millennial and you understand this, she purged her entire Instagram account of all photos of Shawn Mendes. This is the man that she had been linked to romantically over the past few months. So I'm thinking that these two youngins were kind of hot to trot. She also says that he got over, you know, something, like there were some years that were rocky between the two of them and as we all know when justin bieber like any other famous kid becomes 18 or 19 and gets handed the rights to their millions they go a little wonky can do you, do you agree can you think of anybody else who might have done that joey when they get a little older who? Miley cyrus
2: uh-huh oh the, where they just flip like that not
1: flip but they have their money and their and they just go crazy because it's theirs now they don't have to ask their agent, they don't have to ask their money manager, they don't have to ask their mom or dad for money. They turn 18 or 19, millions are handed yeah. to them. They've that's, lived forever in the land of no-nos, and no one says no to them, and now they don't say no to themselves.
2: That's a, that's very common right now in the in the hip-hop scene, I know, in the rap scene, with a lot of these kids that are coming out, and they're like 18, some right around there, and yeah. all of a sudden, overnight, they get these deals Literally, they're getting millions, you know, and they get the videos and just, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they
1: go a little nutso. Oh, yeah. So, apparently, Haley wasn't into it when he went through his nutso phase that lasted a few years. The question is, has he settled down, I, I, you know, and why the engagement? Well, here's, I think the engagement is all, of, when I say all about him, I mean coming from him. Like, I don't think... She necessarily, they act like she was surprised, although she did purge her Instagram of the ex-boyfriend, but he could have just asked her to do that a couple weeks before. And um, he, I, I, I think he is longing for a secure attachment. Minutes after they got engaged, both his parents tweeted something kind of along the lies, lies, lines of congratulations. So I think that's the first thing he did is called mom and pop. And this is a guy, let's just remember his mental health development. Okay, my heart goes out to Justin Bieber. You may not, you don't understand. But this guy was basically sold to the music industry at the age of 12 by his single mom who wasn't much older than him. I think she was like 30 or something crazy. And you know what happens in the music industry. And if you don't, just let me warn you, keep your babies away from it. It's a rough one because they're thrown into a very adult world very, very quickly. And hashtag Michael Jackson. And um, it can mess with your head because they don't get to develop peer-to-peer with the social boundaries, with the social skills, with the sexual exploration that one would do. I'm not, I don't know anything about Justin and his sex life, but I'm quite sure he had access to full-grown women <laughs> at a very young age <laughs> because that's how the music industry is. And at the same time, you can't put down roots because you're moving all the time. They have you on tour. They work you so hard. I did see the Justin Bieber documentary. I do have daughters, right? I had to watch that. What was that one called? The, I don't know. Believe? Maybe just Justin.
2: Belieber? Is it
1: Belieber, maybe? Yeah, yeah Believer. Yeah. There we go. Um, but I had to get through it. Has saw it in a theater, too, see? And, uh, you know, he, he had a hard life. He was deprived of his childhood. So this idea that as a young adult, he wants to form a secure attachment. And he got down on his knees in a resort and, and had a, a wedding... Uh, sorry. Yes. An engagement ring with him when he showed up. Anyway, I wish them both well. I can't guarantee that a wedding will actually happen. I think the ring might be one of those placeholders to keep her near if he felt he was losing her. And if they do get married, um, they might be a little young for it to last a super long time. But... Relationships are a gymnasium for our minds. When we come back, let me talk about that. Is your relationship giving you too much of a workout? I'll have more when we come back. Larry perel has got the news for us. This is KFI AM 640. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh show. Doctor,
0: doctor, can't you see I'm burning, burning?
1: <laughs> well, Dr. Wendy Walsh back with you on KFI AM 640. I'm going to share a little secret with you. You know what we did on that break? Joey, my producer, and I made a video for, uh, what do we call it? A video blog. A vlog. So this next segment that's coming up, I kind of rehearsed a little bit because you'll be able to see video of it as well. And we put it in my newsletter. And you can sign up to my newsletter. You go to my website, drwendywalsh.com, and you click on, this is... A lot of information. You click on Relationship Expert, I think, at the bottom. Or maybe the contact at the bottom. It says sign up for newsletter or something. So every week, I'm going to send you a video of one of my segments as well as something I've written and, you know, other stuff that's interesting or not interesting. So let us talk about how our relationships are gymnasium for our minds. Now, we know what a gymnasium does for our bodies, right? We stress our muscles hard against a machine that causes resistance. And it breaks down the muscle tissue. But the good news is, when you rest, that muscle tissue grows stronger and it's ready for the next one. Well, psychologically, our most intimate love relationships kind of do the same thing. What they do is they help us work out some of our early childhood conflicts. Now, there's a problem with this because sometimes it's hard to tell if the relationship you're in is one that's helping you grow, just providing a little stimulation, a little resistance that's going to help you grow, or whether it's a relationship that's going to hurt you, that's going to relive some of your trauma over and over again. These kinds of bonds I call traumatic bonds. And before I tell you the ways you can tell whether this relationship will be a healthy gymnasium for your mind or a hurtful one, let me just remind you that our Blueprint for love is made up of three relationships. The relationship we had with our mother, the relationship we had with our father, and the relationship we witnessed between the two of them. Now, as you're thinking about your own upbringing, you may notice that there might have been a piece missing of those three relationships. You might have had a father not present, or a mother not present, or a mother present, but not emotionally present. Or your own parents might have not had a very healthy, connected, intimate relationship. So it's like you've been given this jigsaw puzzle for this is love, but it might be missing some very important pieces. So what happens is these relationships, and indeed in our very early months of life, in the first year of life when your brain triples in size, your brain starts to form ideas about what is love. If the warm bottle is brought, or the breast, better, is brought to you when you cry, you grow to think, well, love is nurturing. If you're crying in a wet diaper and your parents read a book that said, oh, it's good to cry them out, it's good for their lungs, uh, then you grow to believe that love is about loss and longing. If you had an intrusive parent who couldn't read your cries or your feelings and shoved a bottle in your mouth when you weren't even hungry or overwrapped you and made you too hot, you might grow up to believe that love is smothering in some way. And these are three tiny examples, but there are millions of ways that people interact with infants that help them try to figure out what is love. And the crazy thing is that whatever that model for love is, Even if it's filled with pain, longing, neglect, abuse, that's where you will head to in your adult romantic life. You will go back to the scene of the crime over and over again, trying to solve it. And how do you do that? Unconsciously. You know, because I had this conversation with a friend recently, and he's like, well, I don't, you know, when I think about a woman, I don't date that kind of woman. I'm like, you're not thinking about it. That's the point. You are not thinking about it. Um, So how do we know if somebody that we're having some kind of conflict with is the one that's going to help us grow or the one that's going to re-injure us? Because unfortunately, damaged babies always find each other, even when they're dressed up as adults, and their playpen is the bedroom. And so even you know, two people who have had traumatic injuries early in life will find each other and play it out and re-injure each other rather than finding a way to grow. So you know the feeling when someone's just like under your skin, right? You're like, I don't know what it is. It's not really the person for me, whatever. It's not, not who I would want on paper, but they're kind of under my skin. That's that feeling. You know you're working out something. So in a few minutes, I'm going to tell you a few ways to tell for sure if it's a cure love, or it's toxic love. But I also want to remind you that love is this really unique, complicated cocktail of biology, psychology, which we're talking about today, and sociology. So let me break them down. Biology is like um, partly pheromones. Did you know that you have the best sex in your life with the person who smells the most delicious? Did you know that, Joey? The smell's got to be there, right?
2: I mean, it makes sense. It does. Yeah.
1: And why does the smell have to be right? What is carried in our pheromones? Indicators of our immune system compatibility. You knew that. I knew you knew that.
2: That's exactly what I was going to say. Totally.
1: (laughs) So when two people mate, they might take blue eyes from one, brown hair from another, long legs from another, except immune systems. Immune systems combine to create a much stronger, fitter human. So that's one piece of biology. The other piece is the visual. We know that men are more visually wired than women. Women are more... Uh, often into intelligence and, well, it's more sociology when I say ability to provide resources. But uh, men are definitely visually wired. and and But so are women to, to a degree, for sure. Men are just higher. And what is that vision? How do we know who we're into visually that turns us on? Well, that is a whole bunch of early life triggers. There was stuff you saw. I mean, I knew a man once who told me, That, uh, he was like on an early date and he looked at my hands and he said, oh, thank goodness you're not wearing nail polish. And I was like, what? And (laughs) I didn't quite get it. And he said, I just, I'm not attracted to any woman who wears red nail polish. And I'm like, why? What's weird? Like, I don't get it. So he tells me the story that when he was in middle school, big time of sexual explosion, when kids are still pretty childish, um... He had a spontaneous erection. It happens sometimes with guys. It just um, happens, right? And he was very, very embarrassed and ashamed of this. He was sitting at his desk carefully, making sure it was hidden under his desk. And at that moment, the teacher came down as she was lecturing and put her hand on his desk. Not because she was just leading, using a desk that was there to lean. And so he was so embarrassed that anyone would know that he had this erection. So he spent forever just staring at that hand that perfectly manicured with no nail polish hand. And that became entwined with his sexual arousal as an adult. Now, there are also arousal patterns that are, you know, we might call fetishes, people who are into feet, people who are into, I I don't know what people are into. (laughs) I I try to not worry and not judge. and just go, if it works for you and it doesn't hurt anybody and it's adult and it's safe and it's sane and it's consensual, enjoy. Um, Anyway, so that's enough of the biological piece. The sociological piece is what you would see in a dating profile. And this is what society says would be good for you or what you believe is good for you based on society's expectations. So it might be Uh, someone's height. It might be someone's income. It might be someone's zip code. It might be whether they're vegetarian or paleo. It might be whether they vote Republican or whether they vote uh, liberal. What is liberal? Democrat. There we go. (laughs) I'll get it. Uh, It might be uh, whether they're religious or not. And so these are what society creates a belief system in human beings. And I won't lie to you. It's a piece of it. I mean, it's not like we're all just two floating angels in heaven who just come up on each other and go, hey, you're like the perfect angel match for me. It doesn't matter that you have no job. It doesn't matter that, you know, my parents would hate you. It doesn't matter that your friends would not get along with my friends. Of course it matters. Sociology matters, too. So they're all pieces of love. But the big one that I'm interested in, of course, is psychology. And that's why I'm so into attachment theory. And there are some ways that you can tell psychologically if your new gal or your new guy is somebody, or maybe somebody you've been with a long time, somebody who's going to make you stronger, more secure, and help you grow, or whether it's somebody who's going to re-injure you. When I come back, I've got the answer. You're listening to KFI AM 640. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Larry burrell has got the news for us.
2: Oh help me, please, Doctor. I'm damaged. There's a pain where there once
1: was a heart. KFI AM640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. We're talking about how gymnasium or gymnasium relationships are a gymnasium for our minds. But how do we know if it's gonna break us down too much? How do we know if it's actually a traumatic bond that's reenacting old injuries? maybe it's a toxic relationship because even the toxic ones are really, really exciting at the beginning. Here's the crazy thing. Remember I was talking to you about how we we all have this model for love inside us and we go out and we find somebody who will play our game with us, even if that involves uh, neglect, abuse. If that's what we think love is, then we'll find it again and again and again. And interestingly enough, The couples who stay together the longest often are where one has anxiety and fear around attachment, Uh, just really just uh, is always longing, vigilant clock watcher, you know, this girl or guy that's always like, how many hours or days since the last text? And then they're with the person who's kind of emotionally avoidant. And here's the thing about people who are emotionally avoidant. The only time that they can tolerate real intimacy is often during sex. So what ends up happening is the anxious person and the avoidant person form this kind of painful chase for love, one longing and one running away. And it can last a really long time. They tend to stick together longer than other kinds of relationships, although they're in emotional pain. But the thing that ignites the whole thing is sex, because unconsciously they are sexually wired to go towards that model of love, even, as I said, if it involves pain. So it's very exciting at the beginning. And then comes the question, is this person good for me? Is this a gymnasium for my mind that will make me stronger and more secure? So here are a few questions you can ask yourself to help figure that out. First one is, not about because what, what people would do is they spend a lot of time analyzing the partner. Well, on paper, he looks good because I know he has this job, and on his Tinder profile, it shows that he's that. Nah, 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 nah. Stop. It's not about him, it's not about her, it's about you and your feelings. So, the first thing I tell you is to ask yourself, How do you feel when you're with them? Do you feel calm? And when I say feel, Get out of your flipping head. Go into your stomach. Psychologists call the gut the second brain. And often it's really linked to our emotions. So ask your stomach, do I feel a little excited? Is that good excitement? Or is it nervous excitement? Like he might hurt me or leave me or she might do this or do that. Is she crazy? Is she not? Right? Your stomach, what's your stomach saying? So ask your stomach, how do I feel when I'm in their presence? Next, ask yourself who you are when you're in their company. You know, every relationship enlivens a piece of us. As horrible as it is to think of, even Hitler had best friends who thought he was a cool guy, right? So there are, there are pieces of us that will become enlivened depending on who we are around. So ask yourself, Are you your best self when you are in their company? If your best self involves, say, acting wise and kind um, or not holding back pieces of yourself for fear that you will offend them, right? Are you playing careful around them? Or do you feel comfortable being who you are? Or the other Are you performing for them and being some kind of performer person because you think that's what they will like? Well, this is not sustainable, and you won't be able to be there the whole way. So are you your best self? The third thing I want you to ask yourself is, when you leave this person to go home for the night, to take a break, whatever, do you feel better, worse, or the same as before? Okay, so there are people out there, like kind of vampire people, who will suck the life out of you. And when you leave their company, you actually feel drained and exhausted. Other people will give you back at least as much energy as you take. All right? And if you just feel neutral and this person didn't change you in any positive way, hmm, remember there are people who are put-down artists They make jokes at your expense. They subtly, really subtly devalue you. They make those jokes like, oh, you're insane. Oh, don't say that. You're crazy. They just called you insane. They just called you crazy. Did you hear that? Um, Then there are those enliveners that just make you feel energized and better. Now, I'm telling you, you want to spend more time with the enliveners than those put-down artists. All right. Here's a good question to ask yourself. Do you feel more creative and inspired after being in their company every single human out there is creative somewhere in there and there is a thing about love that actually makes you more creative did you go home and read that book or order that book or article they mentioned at dinner did you go out and garden because uh, they told you about their garden did you make some dish that you saw on a menu If you feel more creative and more inspired after being with certain people, then they're probably healthy for you. And finally, do you physically and do you do physical and mental activities that are healthy together? If you guys are getting together just to smoke weed and Netflix and chill, you're probably not going to be together a long time. And this is not bringing the best you out. Are you meeting each other's friends? Are you having mentally stimulating conversations? I don't know. Are you tap dancing together? Are you meditating together? What are you doing together? Are you doing some things that will make you stronger and better? All right. So if your stomach is telling you she is not the one or he is not the one, you got to walk away. You're not going to change this. You'll get stuck in a dynamic that could last a long time. When we come back, I have a special guest in the studio. We are going to talk about love as an activity, and I'm not talking about our oh, only our intimate relationships. I'm talking about love activism. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad loving you. KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you, and I have a very special guest in the studio. But before I get to her, I want to remind you. That this is the week, every other week I do this, I do my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. Because I kind of have a knack for dreams. I love to hear your dreams. So starting at 530, which is kind of two more segments away, uh, make sure you give us a call. The number will be 1-800-520-1KFI. That's 1-800-520-1534. Not yet, at 530. And uh, tell me a brief, interesting dream that you may have had. And I will give you my take on it. I just love doing my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. It is not real clinical work at all. It's fun for us, right? That's what it is. My next guest is Stacey Russo. I was interested to have her on the show for two reasons. One is she wrote a very cool book called Love Activism. And it's her fourth book. But she's also a librarian. So, Stacy, welcome, first of all. Thank you so much for having me. You know why I'm excited that you're a librarian? So when I I teach at Cal State Channel Islands and every semester I make all my students go through that, you know, two hour library training class with a real librarian. And um, I tell them that librarians are the superheroes of the information age because you know how to find anything.
3: That's true. Um, at least we know where to look for it, right? That's right. You know where to look for um, it.
1: You can find it, and, right? But you are probably interesting to me for two reasons. One, thank you, Stacey. She brought me this beautiful little wooden plaque that she painted on and did some decoupage. Um, so she's now. I can tell you, she's an artist. She's a writer. But then she's got that left brain organization. So can we say Da Vinci right here? You got it on. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) The whole brain. All right, let's talk about your book, Love Activism. First of all, why'd you write it? I
3: wrote this book to put something positive out into the world. I feel that we're all aware of the fact that there's so much negativity. You know, daily we're hearing news stories. We see a lot of suffering and violence and injustice So this book really stands in opposition to all that and provides something positive. It's not just meant to be an inspirational book, but to also provide practical advice and practical steps people can take if they want to right away and start doing things in their daily lives.
1: So how would you define love
3: activism? The easiest way to define it is that it's a daily and holistic activism of kindness and the reason I use the word holistic is because it does look at everything as being interconnected give me an example yeah so if we were talking about let's say different forms of injustice in the world it would be easy to be what might be a single issue activist and only focus on one thing but I think that all of the good things and all the bad things they're all interconnected (laughs) So to live the most harmonious life, if you're putting love into all the different arenas in your life, you need to think about all the different pieces and how they all go together. So love activism looks at how we can practice love for ourselves. That's mm-hmm. why self-care is part of it. For our communities, for all living beings and the earth. So it doesn't just look at one thing we
1: can do, but looks at a much broader scope of what we can do in the world. Stacy. I mean this with love, but are you originally from California <laughs> or did you adopt this harmonious love <laughs> language? <laughs> you know, I was born in Pennsylvania actually,
3: oh. but um, we moved here when I was just finishing fifth grade. Uh-huh. So I only went through grade school there and I definitely have become
1: A very California person. (laughs) (laughs) You stay here long enough, you start drinking the Kool-Aid, and and before you know it, I was in the back of an Uber last week, and the guy, you know, Ubers always have other lives, Uber drivers, other lives, and he said he was a crystal dealer, not crystal meth. No, stop it. Uh, all these various stones from and the healing properties. And I honestly did not want to get to my destination because he told me so much about crystals and what they could do. But he said something interesting. He was just like, you know, people will say, oh, these crystals, it's just a placebo effect. And he said, and I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to which I respond. I always tell my health students this at Cal State Channel Islands. Like, uh, you know, we have this miracle drug. We know that it treats everything absolutely any disease out there. It's been researched well. It shows up in every study. That drug is called placebo. (laughs) So our mind works with our body. They inform each other. And if you get well, who cares? But he also said about the crystals that it's not like one crystal is suddenly going to make you healthy. But the way you're talking in this holistic way is that it can be one piece of many Many things going on in our lives, health. And I can't believe the scientific mind of me is talking about crystals right now. Okay. (laughs) Stacey, you do it. It's coming out of me. All right. So you talk about in our daily lives, practicing kindness, but specifically beginning with self and self-care. I think there are people out there who think of self-love as selfishness, but they're two different things. Can you help explain that?
3: Yes, definitely. So I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is the fact that you can actually take very good care of yourself and that's not selfish. And if you do take good care of yourself and love yourself and come from that place, you can actually do more in the world. You'll be more resilient, Mm -hmm. you'll be healthier, you'll be able to prosper and, and thrive. If you don't take care of yourself, then you can run into despair and depression and simply um, give up. Yeah. <laughs> so taking I, care I, of ourselves I, is very important.
1: My favorite metaphor out there, and I've been using it as a single mother for many years, is that you have to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can assist anyone else around you.
3: Definitely so. I think that's important too when we think of empathy because we want to be empathetic towards other people and to help people the way to do that over our lifetime is to be taking care of ourselves while we're doing that. And then we'll always have that strength to be able to give more to others. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you get into a romantic relationship, if you are already strong and well-balanced and taking care of yourself, it's probably going to be an overall better relationship.
1: Yeah. As I like to say, relationships don't make you happy, but happy people have happy relationships. <laughs> that makes <Right>? sense. Yeah. <laughs> so it starts as an inside job on ourselves. So when we talk about how do people find that boundary? So I just want to add one thing. First of all, when you were talking about self-love, I had a thought. So self-love and self-care doesn't involve um, giving yourself too much, too much stuff, too much food, too much alcohol, too much socializing, too much parties. That's actually not self-love. That's not taking care of yourself. Taking care of yourself is treating your body in a healthy way. Uh, listening to your words, what is really coming out of your mouth? Is it kindness? Is it truth? Is it authenticity? Or is it a bunch of lies to make you sort of look good in front of other people? And so that's the, imp- I think that's the big distinction between selfishness and help- self love, because selfishness will end up hurting you and not able to help others.
3: Right. And within the, the book Love Activism, I go into different elements that are part of it. So, as you were saying, we start with self-love and caring for ourselves, but that's really just one piece of it. Mm -hmm. So if you were to do other practices in the book, they are moving out towards your friends, your workplace, your community, you know, the environment, um, animals, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So that's part of that holistic piece that's so important is that you don't just get
1: stuck on only doing things
3: for yourself, of course.
1: Yeah. No, we are, we are a a species that is completely socially interconnected. And I think we are interconnected, uh, literally, jobs, housing, freeways, etc. But I think almost unconsciously, mentally, there's another conversation going on between every human. There's like, okay, I know I'm, I'm the science gal, but I do have to say this. Uh, there is a parallel universe and that there are many conversations happening in a room and we need each other. When we come back, Let's break down your book, Love Activism, and talk about areas like service and empathy and self-care and hope and creativity. I am with author Stacey Russo, and she is a professor. What do you teach? I teach library technology. <laughs> I told you, she's da Vinci. Left brain, right brain. She uses it all. Uh, when we come back, I've got more with Stacy Russo. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel's got the news for us. By AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Remember, after this next, as I finish my conversation with author Stacey Russo, you can get on the phone and talk to me if you've got a dream. We're going to do my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. It's not therapy, okay? It's just drive-by makeshift dream analysis. So as soon as we're done here, give us a call at 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. But as we continue our discussion with author Stacey Russo, the book is called Love Activism. I assume people can get it anywhere online, Stacy, Yes. Um, in your book, you talk about different kinds of activism, love activism. So let's go through a few of them and let us start with creativity because I mentioned creativity earlier. How can we use creativity as a love activist?
3: So at the end of each chapter, I have a list of different practices people can do And before that, there's other information and stories and and things like that before leading up to the practices. One thing about creativity is I definitely believe that we all have the power to create and what we create may be a masterpiece or, or maybe just something that we create for ourselves. It could be a handmade gift that we make for a friend or a loved one of some nature like that. My creativity is
1: cooking. So I actually figured out I was at a restaurant and I was tearing apart a cauliflower crust trying to figure out how did they get the liquid out of it? How did they (laughs) bind it? Then I watched a whole bunch of YouTube videos on it and it was and I it was a masterpiece I created the next day.
3: Yeah. So baking is actually one of my methods of creativity and but also gardening could be a creative activity as well. And then beyond what we might just do ourselves, we could teach other people what we know and that's where it becomes more of a community activity it's also important to have a creative life i feel and that might mean supporting museums um, going to independent films going to see live music if you have friends who are artists either you know writers or musicians or painters whatever they might be of supporting them you know Mm -hmm. going to openings And um, bringing creativity more into the community that way by supporting the arts.
1: You know, whenever I have a party, I'm not a musician at all. Couldn't, can't even sing, but I always hire live musicians. And in this town, L.A., there are so many affordable musicians. There's a website, (laughs) in fact, called Gig Salad. They didn't pay me to say that. Gig Salad, you'll love it. You'll find any (laughs) kind of artist or performer at all. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Talking about empathy. How is empathy an important holistic practice?
4: Yeah,
3: so one thing I mentioned in regards to empathy is that it can be easy to have empathy for individuals who may be similar to us. Mm -hmm. So one thing to always consider is how to broaden, how we can be more empathetic and be more inclusive in our empathy, you could say. One idea that I feel is a form of activism is to read a book, Um, If you have the time, it could be once every season. That could be a lot, though. That's four books. (laughs) Or um, once a year. And um, read a memoir or an autobiography by someone who's entirely different from you.
1: I read a lot of memoirs. Yeah. I love them.
3: Yeah, so it could be someone who lives in a place in the world that you know nothing about. It could be someone, you know, from a different religion, different racial, ethnic background different socioeconomic background, whatever it might be, even if it's a little scary because you're not sure what you might think, but to um, read something like that and then have a discussion if you can. See if you can find somebody else, either a partner, a friend, a neighbor, to read the book along with you and have a discussion. Kind of what we were talking about earlier, when you do things just for yourself, and this is one example that's amazing and outstanding, (laughs) But sometimes when you read and then you have a discussion with someone else,
1: that's when you really get to the heart of the book and you can even change your mind about things. You know, I'm actually in a book group that has a very diverse group of women and they bring so many different ideas to the table.
3: Right. i makes ex- it great. Yeah, I've had experiences in reading groups where I didn't even think I liked a book.
1: <laughs> and then
3: after the discussion,
1: I actually thought, well, maybe I do kind of like it a little bit yeah. now. <laughs> now that it got a little bit deeper. Um, Okay, finally, before we go, let's talk a little bit about service. Now, I want to say about the whole kindness movement that's going on right now is that it... How do I say this kindly? It's actually selfish or a gift... No, not selfish. A gift to ourselves to be kind to others because the whole universe shifts around you. And I don't mean to sound Pollyanna-like, but truthfully, when you go inside yourself and find some space to give to somebody else, They, your whole universe starts to shift. It's like, oh, again, I'm going to sound California. You get these energy shifts, right? <laughs> you can say it, can't you, Stacy? So tell me what, what you mean by service.
3: One thing about service, and I think most people, when they hear that word, they have an idea of what that means. But one way to go about practicing service is to see if you can be really present with other people, you know, really aware of the moment that you're in and being authentic, you know, of who you are, being honest, and perhaps even being vulnerable when you're practicing service. Mm. There are so many opportunities for practicing service. It could be simply that you decided to do an occupation that's service-based because you want to do that. It could be um, preparing meals for people Mm -hmm. in your family or in your community, you could even do something that's service for the earth or Mm -hmm. for animals Mm -hmm. or, you know, the ocean cleaning up the ocean. (laughs) I actually,
1: I take great pride in serving. I think there is such a, a, I love to be a hostess. I love my kids to have friends over. I love to feed people And there's something empowering about that kind of service. It's true. It's definitely
3: an example of when you're doing something for someone, it comes back to you, right? It makes you feel richer from the experience. Someone once said to me that she felt that service was the highest form of love. Mm. And um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that definitely was a profound
1: statement. And I could relate to that. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for being with us. The book is called Love Activism. You can find it online. The author is Stacy Rousseau. Thank you so much for coming into the studio. It was a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much for having me here. And if you've got a dream for me, we're about to go to, into my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. Give me a call at 1-800-520-1534. That's 1-800-520-1534. KFI. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh show on KFI AM 640. Leah Perel's got the news for us.
4: Ooh, I you can get
1: me the KFI AM 640. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. This is my dream weaver segment. We do every second Sunday from 530 to 6. Uh, my drive by makeshift dream analysis. So here's what you need to know about dreams before I take your calls. One is that Freud called it pre-conscious material, meaning that you are just about ready to become consciously aware of the feelings and themes in your dreams. So as your brain is refueling and restoring during the night, when you go into deep REM, these metaphors become presented to you. That's why they're not literal. They are metaphors. They come from the creative side of us. And sometimes when another person helps you explore those metaphors, you can understand yourself better. And also, there's no such thing as like, well, this always means that or this always means that. Um, Everybody's metaphors are specific to them. So you might find me asking a question of how did you feel about that? I know the last time we did this segment, there was a woman talking about having had a recurring dream for most of her life about crocodiles everywhere following her. And when I asked her about these crocodiles, what do they remind her of when she thinks of crocodiles? She said, well, you know, I'm from the South, and they were a big part of my heritage and my upbringing. And I'm realizing that that the crocodiles were alligators, whatever they were. Sorry, I'll get it wrong. The gators were not um, scary to her. They were familiar, and they were a feeling of being home and attached. So I know that a few of you are waiting on hold. Joey's slowly screening through your calls and on Come to Your Dreams in just a minute. If you want to give... A call and wait. It is 1-800-5201-KFI. And I also noticed that some people put dreams on Facebook. So on my Facebook link, I have a couple dreams that I want to read to you. Uh, First from Mike. Uh, He said, uh, virtually each one of us had the dream of being in a control room. Oh, he's talking about, uh, we share many mutual friends, many background in the music and radio. Virtually each one of us has a dream of being in a control room usually an unfamiliar one with a record running out and being totally frozen about what to do next. Um, Now, again, Mike is not here on the phone for me to say, "Uh, what does a record player mean to you? Uh, Being in control, what does that feel like to you? Uh, But it seems like a pretty obvious metaphor here that, you know, we would love to all think that we are in control of life, that we're controlling everything around us because When we can control the things that we can, we feel safer, right? We are controlling, you know, crazy things. Every human is born with only one fear. It's the fear of dying. And so every other fear we think we have is all related to fear of dying. And we're just supposed to stave off that anxiety. And so if we can control the people and things around us, it helps to reduce our fear of dying. But what's interesting is that we have to sometimes let go and let the unconscious river below us just take us. I often say sometimes when you're troubled and you don't have an answer for something, you have to lift the paddle and let the river take you. Stop fighting. So Mike talks about this fear of a record running out and being totally frozen about what to do next. I would go a few places on that. One is life running out, time running out. Has, have we done the work that we need to spiritually To have a good death at the end. Or maybe the old tools and patterns that we had in the past in our life are not necessarily anymore. And so what is the new way? We often go through lots of identity formation. We change identity many times in our lives. So thank you for that. You are welcome to send them in on Facebook. Joey, can I take Pamela? There we go. Okay. Uh, He's still screening her. Oh, still talking to Pamela. You know, this is what happens. You have to go through the screener. There we go. Hi, Pamela. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Good. Tell me about your dream.
4: Okay. So I dreamed about a week or so ago. I was in a really deep sleep, and I actually have a lot of issues, like with insomnia and anxiety and a lot of different things. So I sleep really light. Mm-hmm. And it's only a very short amount of time during any given night that I'm probably actually really asleep. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of awoken up by, um, of, of I had found in my dream that there was a part of my house that I didn't know about. So I lived in my house for like 17 years, but I was dreaming and it felt really real mm-hmm. that there was another section to my house that I didn't know about. And I was, I was kind of wondering, like, who knew about it or, like, what its purpose was. But it was really dusty, like, really, really dusty. Ooh. And that's what upset me the most about the dream is that I had, like, part of my house was so dirty.
1: Oh, fascinating. Um, okay, so let me just ask you about, in general, yeah, what yeah. dust and dirty means to you in your life.
4: Um, I'm really hard on myself, and if I ever make a mistake, I have social anxiety disorder, so I'm always hard on myself about if I says, I replay everything in my mind every day. Like, if I, I'll think of something I said to someone that possibly maybe they could have been offended by, Mm -hmm. that I didn't even mean it that way, though. Mm hmm You know, and then I'll go, oh, my God, I wasn't even thinking, like, that happened to them, that was so insensitive of me, like, I'm always... Thinking like my mind never stops.
1: Okay, you know, so worrying. let me s- ask you about this new section in the house. Besides it being dusty, what else can you tell me about that section?
4: That's the weird thing is it woke me up like abruptly, so I didn't really get to see too much of like what it was like because I'm really my sister's like a top selling real estate agent in Orange County. She's friends with like the Orange County housewives, so. I always know everything that's the most in style because she redoes her house like every year to change with, you know, whatever countertop or flooring or so I'm really aware of like what's in style and so I was really curious to go into it, but it just scared me and the dust is what uh... just literally like woke up like um, frightened. Okay.
1: I'm going to stop you right there and tell you that here's what's going on with you, Pamela. So, um, you've already told me that you have anxiety. You also carry a lot of, uh, we call it psychologists. Here's some psychobabble for you. Social evaluative threat, meaning that you worry what people think. So when you found this new section of the house, and let me tell you what the house is. The house is a big metaphor for you, your soul, your persona. It is you, that there is a piece of your mind that's been there all the time. And I believe it's old. And dusty dusty not dirty dusty but old and you want to walk into this new part of your mind you want to be this you are very curious but you're scared cuz you want to know who knew that it was there and that you're so upset that it was dirty what if people see that you're not perfect that this new part of you is not perfect So I am going to tell you why you brought me this dream, Pamela. You brought me this dream to give you permission. Tonight, I want you to go back to sleep. And before you go to sleep, tell yourself that you are going back into that house. And you are going to walk into that area. And you are going to be relieved of feelings that people care, that people are criticize you. No shame. Be curious. Walk in. Ignore the dust. And realize the value in it being old. Pamela, thank you so much for calling in. We have to go to a break. Stay on hold. If you're holding, you're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news.
2: Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. There's a pain.
1: afi am six forty. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. We are into the home stretch of the Dr. Wendy Walsh show. We got a couple more dreams. Let's see how quickly we can get to two of them. Hi, Jonathan. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Doctor. How are you? Good. Tell me about your dream.
0: Well, I have a relationship with a, a coworker of sorts. Um, in real life. I've, in real life. Okay. It, yes, this is real life. Mm-hmm. And I have not, I don't dream of people, uh, except maybe occasionally a childhood friend or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this person I have dreamt of twice now. Okay. Um, and uh, both times I've gone into her office. hmm And the the dream that I'm asking about is I go into the office and it's a complete mess. hmm And everything is on the floor. Mm-hmm. And she is facing a vanity, a piece of furniture, which is out of sorts for an office. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's standing facing it uh, and looking at me through the mirror Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: wearing what I think is a bikini, but it may be red underwear, two-piece red underwear. Okay. All right. And and that's when it stops.
1: It just stops right there. Can I, t- can you tell me the strongest feeling that you have in this dream?
0: Oh, that she's in love with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that thing, that, uh, I guess it's, uh, uh, things are a mess, uh, but I th- that's okay. the feeling I get. So
1: now real life, you're in a relationship with her. She's a co-worker. Um, is it, safe in the sense that nobody holds each other's paycheck or power over them
0: no that's definitely not the case She's okay. very much very much in power over me
1: oh well, there you go okay so guess what here's what? what you just told me that you went into her office it was very messy and she was looking at a vanity in a red bikini or red underwear so I'm telling you right now that this is a messy office relationship that's mostly about sex and it's really appealing to your vanity, but, uh, you know, you're trying to sort oh. out what to do with it.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jonathan. Okay, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. It's Dr. Wendy. Hi, Kevin. It's Dr. Wendy.
0: Hey, Wendy. How are you doing?
1: Good. Tell me about your dream.
0: Well, there were uh, three between the age of five and ten. Three what? Three dreams. Re- oh. all recurring, recur- oh, recurring, recurring dreams.
2: Yes.
1: Okay. Do you want to just focus on one?
2: Well, they're all the same, well, right, Kevin? Yeah. It's the same okay. dream. The
1: same dream that you've had. Okay. That you had three times. Okay. Tell me about it.
0: I'm on an iceberg.
1: Ooh. Mm-hmm.
0: Darkest of night.
1: Mm-hmm. What else? Kevin, did I lose you? Oh, oh Are we losing you, Kevin? I think we lost Kevin. He must have had a bad connection there. Um, he was
2: calling from Wisconsin, too. So oh, he was? was?
1: Oh, distance, that makes a yeah. long card. Okay, so... Um, I, I, You know, very little to go on. But I just want to throw in there that icebergs are a really great metaphor for the unconscious because we know that only the tip of the iceberg is what we see above. and That 90% of the material in an iceberg lies below the surface. So we could also extrapolate that when we dream about icebergs, we're talking about what's going on under the surface. And he mentioned that these dreams happened when he was young. So we're talking about a developing mind, scared what's underneath and what's coming. And in the darkest of night in the cold place wondering what's coming and what's around him. I would be really curious to know what was going on in Kevin's childhood at the time when he had these, but those are great big metaphors.
2: Yeah. uh, You know, I I actually do have a recurring dream. You do? What's yours? I do, And it's different from our work one. This is actually my common dream. (laughs) Uh I would say maybe 80% of my dreams are this. Joey,
1: and this is the first week you're telling me this. (laughs) How is this possible? Okay. It
2: was perfect timing. So So Um, what is it? Well, it's not always exactly the same, but I'm always, uh, it's usually I'm on an island. Um, it could be with, there are usually some family members there. Mm-hmm. Maybe my father, my sister. I'm not always hanging out with them, but yep. they're around. Um, it's very kind of, uh, you know, typical relaxing vacation-y type of island. I like mm. to think maybe it's somewhere in the Mediterranean. I don't nice. know. <laughs> um, because I'm like, kind of obsessed with that region. But uh, there are. While that's the basic premise for the dream, um, about half of those, I usually end up in a tidal wave of sorts. So I'll be standing out on the beach um, or something like that, and just the waves um, keep rising and rising, and I I know what's coming, even, uh, but I'm just there, and and you have to brace for impact. However, Mm -hmm. I can't tell you I recall it ever actually crashing into me.
1: Brace for impact? Okay, so you know this wave is coming.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Tell me, there are a number of emotions you talked about. Relaxation, uh, probably security of having family members mm-hmm. around. What would you say was the, the strongest feeling in this dream?
2: Um, gosh, uh, before the tidal wave?
1: At any time. like What was the one that hits you like that's the big feeling in there? Comfort, yeah. Comfort. Yeah. How interesting. So, and, and tell, say more about islands and what are islands come, what comes up for you when I ask you about an island?
2: Um, like, what do I visualize or? Um, what do you think? What I think of an island. I mean, uh, if you're asking me that now, I would say, you know, isolation, this kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. just just, uh, you know, being uh, often, you know, distant, but like, kind of like me, I'm sort of an isolated person uh, very much so, so.
1: Well, heads up. That's just being a human being okay. means that it is a struggle between autonomy and union with others at all times, right? Where are the boundaries? Yeah. Are we too fused? Are we too separate? Are we too lonely? Are we too isolated? Do we have the support we need? Okay, here's what I'm getting from this dream is that you are an island, of course. you're. An, by the way, every single thing we dream, every piece of it and every person is a piece of us, Right. So that the other guy who called in with the uh, Jonathan with the vanity, right he used the word vanity" for a reason mm. right because this this is about his vanity, this relationship, but it's going to be messy, it is messy all right so um so you're an island, but you're surrounded by family members who may change at different times, and you find it's a relaxing vacation. I know you mentioned the Mediterranean and it's an area you're interested in, and I think that's partly to do with your heritage, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it's history for you and family and solid support. And I'm going to tell you that this dream is a comforting dream. If you have it 80% of the time, I think it's telling you that no matter what tidal waves the world brings you, you may brace for it, but you've got the support of your family and that you have the support of your history. And I would depend more on your family than you think you can because I think they're there for you.
2: Don't want to uh, say that you're probably right, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, the unconscious knows all and it tells me, okay, yeah. I know uh,
2: right,
1: so. <laughs> now they're telling me I have to leave. So I'm here every Wednesday in the one o'clock hour with Gary and Shannon, and I'm here every Sunday from four to six, the Dr. Wendy Walsh show. We also put the show up on the iHeartRadio app as a podcast tomorrow. Joey will do that. If you want to sign up for my newsletter, we can send you links to the show every week, which is kind of cool. You can follow me on social media everywhere. And uh, I love you all. Thank you for being with me. It is just a treat to sit here with you every Sunday. And I I mean you. Yes, you. You've been listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Mo Kelly is next.